and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Hello, I'm Sarah Braley, Managing Editor for North Star Meetings Group, and I'm here with David Peckinpah, President and CEO of Merit's Holdings, the parent company of Merit's Global Events. On this episode of the Eventful Podcast, we will be discussing how well third-party planning firms are emerging from the past two years. Before we get into our conversation, here is a word from our generous sponsor. What if your next meeting could have it all? Breathtaking coastal views, world-class accommodations, outdoor venues as unique as your organization. Welcome to Monterey County, California, a destination with a legacy of hosting some of the most recognized businesses and leaders. This is where lasting connections begin. Are you ready for an all-inspired, all-incredibly-memorable meeting? We are too. Visit meetinmonterey.com to learn more. In March 2020, David Peckinpah was running Merit's Global Events, the third-party planning division of Merit's Holdings. By this past January, Peckinpah had been promoted to president and CEO of the overall company, but he had to make a lot of tough decisions along the way. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sally. It's my pleasure to be here, and hopefully the conversation will prove fruitful. Can you put into a nutshell how the pandemic shook out for Merit's and Merit's Global Events? We lost vast majority of our revenue. Our business was basically outlawed. Uh, because majority of our costs is people, we didn't have any choice but to, to, to look at furloughs and then, unfortunately, terminations. So, the, But how we got through it is by making those tough decisions, right? I go to the Stocktail Paradox, which is you got to face the hard, brutal facts head on and then make decisions accordingly. We were not as expedient as that. As Honestly, in looking back, one of the lessons is you got to do that quicker and faster. But we were erring on the side as much as we could of our people. But then once this stark reality of which kind of started hitting home, if you remember in May and then June when Florida went crazy, that's really when we had to jump on and make really tough decisions. So making those tough decisions was one, two, being part of a bigger enterprise really helped us. So we're part of Merit's Holdings and two of our other business units did just fine. So now... That was our automotive division and our motivation, particularly our automotive, Merit's Automotive, had the best year they had had in the history of of that business. And that was in our, it would have been the, most people would have been say calendar year 20, it would have been our fiscal 21, Mm because we're on an April 1 fiscal year. So being part of a broader, bigger enterprise certainly helped, right? So I would say, I said things to our people, like we are uniquely positioned to get through this because of the the nature of of just being part of a bigger uh, broader organization. Well, uh, the, so that was really important. And the the motivation arm would be that basically everything went digital but you could repurpose those programs and people did need motivation during that. Yeah. Time. And vast majority of those programs are electronic anyhow. So you have points driven programs and that didn't change. You know, we have a very robust digital rewards and recognition uh, program and then people redeeming points that didn't really change. They weren't redeeming for travel necessarily. They were redeeming for merchandise more. So, I mean that that gave us as an overall enterprise stability 
that we otherwise uh, wouldn't have had. The flip side of that is we're also, because of our size, weren't eligible for any of the PPP funds. And so we really had to get through this. But that's really how we got through is making you know, really difficult decisions and benefiting from the fact that we were part of a broader, bigger organization that, that helped us withstand the challenges within Merit's Global Events. We heard, unfortunately, that you had to cut something like 85% of staff. Yeah, now, we, were that, more, we were more like seven in the mid-70s. Is that um, support staff or does that include... All across uh, the board. The uh, associates who are planning the events and all. It was all across the board because basically we didn't have events to, to plan. You know, we had a lot of events to move. Right. So we had a lot of events to cancel. So, I mean, the, the tale of this was a little more gradual because where we were being paid on a fee base, we were still being paid for all the work that we were doing to cancel, to postpone, to move. And sort of that, that kept the lights on as well, right? That kept people employed and, and allowed us to, to weather the storm where those revenues, let's say, were more commission based or from exhibitors who were attending trade shows, those revenues disappeared. And in some cases had to be paid back, yes? Um, in some cases, yeah. But most of them were, are, are, I mean, it's, it's a complicated bag, right, of where commissions and how commissions are paid. But for the most part, that was mitigated just because of how we structured our, our revenue uh, and revenue recognition. So that wasn't as big of an issue. It was just the fact that it shut off. And uh, so we had to go back and we had to redo a lot of agreements with who still wanted us to do the work, but some of the supporting revenue streams. This is particularly in the association and trade show side of our business. The, the, a lot of renegotiations and a lot of, of really healthy but difficult partnership-related conversations. And because of of those relationships, we are also able to to, that also helped us. How are you doing with bringing people back? When were you able to start bringing some people back? When were you starting to see more movement? Yep. That really started in the summer of 21. And then really from our fiscal 22 throughout the year, we've hired hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. So it's been, it's been quite the undertaking. Uh, and we actually knew and, and discussed quite a bit as we went into the pandemic that coming out of it was actually going to be the more difficult time. And that has absolutely proven to be the case. In what sense? I would call it the battle for talent. Mm-hmm. So you had a couple dynamics going on. You had a team that that stuck with you during those difficult days, took on a lot of work and they took on a lot of stress. Everyone was dealing with having to work from home, having children, homeschooling, elder care, health issues. I mean, all those things piled on. And so you had that team. And so coming out of it is what do we do for those? And they also had survivor's guilt. They also had to take pay cuts and, and benefit reductions, things like that. So you had that entire environment. Then you had people that are coming in that were fresh and new, but it's harder to recruit, a lot more competition. The talent is more expensive. So mm-hmm. you've got the acquisition, you've got the retention, you've got compensation, you've got benefits. And you have that to whole, bring them up to speed. And you've got to bring them up to speed and train them and everything else. So it's, if anyone says it's for the faint of heart, you know, it, it is, it is not because it is and has been really tough on our people. Every month it seems to get better, right? Right now we're in a crush. We're just, we've been busier than we've ever been. We did more events in the month of March than ever in the history of the company. 
Is that booking them or actually holding That's them? That's actual events occurring. Really? Yeah. So it's, it is incredibly busy and you pile that on and, you know, trying to run a business, you're trying to figure out how much, how quickly do you hire? How quickly do you need to hire in order to train to get them up to speed? And then how does the revenue then follow? And so that's been, you know, the balancing act that uh, I've talked to all my colleagues in the industry, we were all facing. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been a big challenge. Oh yeah. We're, we've got, we've got all kinds of open requisitions right now and all kinds of positions, finance positions, what we call meeting planners or meeting event manager positions, on-site teams. We're, you know, we're hiring our travel director teams again. It's really all across the board of where the needs are. And has the great resignation affected merits? I mean, we've, it, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the pure statistics, the statistics would tell you it hasn't had a huge impact, you know, one or two points uh, above where historic turnover would be. But I would say it's been at some key positions. It's been, you know, if you look at you're sort of down to that core team, those are, you know, all critical employees. And when you lose those, you're losing intellectual property or not intellectual expertise, equi- expertise. you're, um, you're losing knowledge of systems and clients and relationships. And, and so that makes it really tough. So, you know, what we've seen is more of an evaluation. You know, I think we see a lot of people just evaluating work-life balance, work environments, right? There's a lot of demand for people to, to work uh, remotely. Fortunately, we were well-positioned prior to the pandemic to support that and, and continue. But the leverage of the employee, that that whole leverage uh, relationship has changed, right? The employee has a lot more leverage than they did, let's say, two years ago. And so that's putting a lot of pressure on employers to to really relook at their work environments, systems, you know, benefits all across the board. Throughout the pandemic, there was a lot of contract talk about what is and what isn't force majeure and other concerns. How have contracts changed going forward? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously the the some of the legal terms have been revised and have been revised forever, right? And wisely so, right? You know, most contracts, they might have foreseen an endemic, but no one foresaw a pandemic for the most part. Uh, so I think you've got legal terms have changed. I think the uh, importance of insurance and event insurance has uh, has risen greatly. A lot of organizations that were fortuitous to have those policies in place, it really made a huge difference. And in many instances, saved those organizations. So yeah, without a doubt, terminology, legal contracts, all that have changed. And and rightly so, right? They have to, they have to evolve with the times. I don't think that anything is necessarily onerous, but certainly adapting to the current environment. When commissions were cut from 10% to 7% in 2018, it seemed hotels were trying to distance themselves from the third-party model and trying to get to the quote-unquote real client cutting out the middleman. What has come of that? The hotels and hotel ownership have the right to do what they think is right for their business. I think what uh, the conversation we've had is, I don't think, however, they can dictate how a customer wants to buy. And if our, you know, if our value proposition is so suspect that it has, it, it is put in jeopardy because of a hotel commission change, then shame on us. Right. So our value proposition. So I looked at this whole thing as, look, they're going to do what they're going to do. We're going to still be great partners. We're going to have open dialogue with them. And at the end of the day, the customer is the one that is is at the center for both of us. And our value proposition has to be strong enough 
where it's not just some commission model that's driving the relationship. It's about the product and services and value that we deliver to that customer is driving why they choose to work with an organization like ours. So that's where from day one, we centered on that. We didn't try to have a knee-jerk negative reaction to it. It's like, you know, we understood, didn't mean we liked it, but it allowed for some really powerful, healthy dialogue. And we continue to have amazing and close relationships with our hotel partners. But it's changed, somewhat changed how we work with our, our clients and customers and our pricing models, all those things have to, it gets down to the individual customer for the, for the most part, you know, the model is somewhat separated corporate to association. You know, it's probably the easiest just because how P and L's run and how investments are made from those organizations, but all those conversations have changed and they've evolved. And I think being more uh, commission-based more, more association being more fee-based fee-based. Yeah. You know, corporate, I think years ago, really moved to a fee basis. So that hasn't been a change. I think the association, the commission model in the association world was much more. And I think a lot of those conversations have now moved to being more fee-based and more of an understanding of, again, what is the value we're bringing? How are we compensated by that organization? And we've found those conversations to be really healthy and, and, and really collaborative and partnership oriented, which is what you'd ideally want. So we're also talking about a time that hotels are having their own great resignation problems and having service levels not necessarily be where we expect them. How are your associates dealing with this and how are you making sure that your clients are getting what they expect? Yeah. You know, we we just had a customer advisory board meeting at a, a property in South Florida and they're 500 staff short. And you know, I think it's a perfect example. I've we've all been to various chain update meetings that happen, you know, in March, April, and the story is consistent, right? Everyone is struggling to find uh, talent, and if they find it, it, and to get those individuals to show up and then to stay is really tough. So this this hotel was experiencing about a forty percent churn of employees. So it's that talks about it. So I think where I'm going to, as far as the answer of that, it is clear what we've done probably. For two years now, is a monthly. We're, we're moving that to a little uh, further out now, but a monthly trends report mm-hmm. uh, that we produce for our clients, and our teams then sit down and go through that report with our customers and those that are interested and want it, which a vast majority do. And it's about an education, education and communication issue. So this is what we're seeing. You know, we have the benefit of having hundreds, if not thousands, of clients. Uh, coming through our channel. And so we're a pretty good window into what's going on as, as far as industry trends. So when we share that and help them understand, that helps them, let's say we're you know talking to a head of meetings and events, that helps them then educate their C-suite about these these are the challenges. It's not just us that's crazy, you know, as the organization or having this challenge, but it really is much more widespread. And so I think you know communication and education about what we're seeing has had huge value and benefit for us. So it is about, it's about reframing the current environment, right? Expectations have to change. I think there's, there is some level of empathy out there, but as things get quote unquote back to normal, that empathy is going to wane. So it's, it really is our responsibility to make sure that everyone understands the supply chain challenges, right? You see what's going on with airlines. Airlines are cutting flights. They're reducing capacity because they can't get pilots. They can't get airline crew. You see what's going on in Europe with uh, strikes, and that's impacting capacity. 
that's going to impact a lot of things in the, in the event space, right? It's going to impact availability of flights, cost of flights. People are frustrated with connection times, right? Why am I sitting in an airport for four hours where it used to be I'd have an hour connection? That's all because of this issue. Had a conversation yesterday with the transportation company. They can't get drivers. Mm. So they have to completely reset the expectations. You know, one is doing a massive event in, in, in Las Vegas. They're bringing buses from probably a six-state region. They can get the buses. They can't get the drivers. Mm. And the drivers can only work certain schedules. So then they, they just have to reduce capacity. There's nothing they can do. Then and you get to the hotel challenge. In from another state, you have to put them up. And then you get to the hotel level. They're short-staffed. You go into restaurants, half the tables are empty. They can't get servers. So, you know, it's really about educating what's going on and and hopefully resetting expectations. Uh, you know, we have a lot of service level uh, agreements, SLAs that are in place. We honor those as that much as we can. Are those SLAs new? It's it's always been there. It's It's about having conversations about what is still realistic. Because some of the things are just out of our control. And we look, we're having our own staffing, you know, challenges. And like we talked earlier, right, new staff, getting them trained and up to speed, uh, that, you know, creates our own dynamics. So we're not immune to this. But to me, the long-winded answer to your question is around education, setting the right expectations, and then trying to communicate those as broadly and widely as we can. Is it going to help us get through this? But there's got to be some level of empathy from everybody, from organizers to attendees. Have you seen anything get better as far as that's concerned as we've as the months have gone along here in 22? You know, I, I, I do think, I think, you know, there is a greater sense of empathy and understanding. Is, is it across the board? Absolutely not. But I do think that sense is out there. That's what we heard from our advisory board. Last week, they get it. They understand. Probably don't like it, but you know, for the interim, they they do understand that. I think trying to get their attendees or guests to have that same level of understanding, because for some of them, many could be the first time they've been traveling in two years. They haven't been on an airplane. A lot of events I've been to in the last three or four months, it's the first time people have been out. First time, you know, I've been traveling since. GMID of 21 and personally before that. But so I've, it's not as new to me, but for a lot of people, a lot of, they might've been on site inspections, but as far as any kind of gathering, a lot of these are the first time. And and so it's an eye opener, but trying to get them to understand that is always a challenge because it's, it's that communication challenge, right? How far can you get the message pushed out? But I, yeah, I think, you know, overall there, there is a greater sense of empathy, but you know, human nature is that will wane pretty quick. How are your associates handling the uncertainty surrounding attending numbers? Yeah. The complexity of the event is much greater, you know, and, and then, you know, like our guest services team that, that deals with either exhibitors or guest services team that deals with air travelers, you know, that, that call, what used to be maybe a one or two minute call now could be five to 10 minutes because they're asking about, you know, health and safety protocols. They're asking about connection issues and airline, you know, availability and costs. And so the, yeah, the compl- I would say the key word there is complexity. Mm-hmm. Things have gotten more complex, which takes more time, takes more labor and affects the whole equation. So what's the big picture? When do you predict business will be back fully? Yeah. Well, our, again, we're this, we, you know, April one fiscal year. So in our fiscal 23, which we've just started as of April one, we're about uh, three quarters, we're forecasting to be about three quarters back mm-hmm. to our uh, fiscal 19, which is our last um, year that was not yeah, impacted, yeah. <laughs> not impacted by COVID. 
Right. So, you know, to me, that answer is so no, we're not all the way back. We're not out of the woods yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking at fiscal 24 as actually we should be at, if not above where that fiscal 19 year was. So it's still, and, you know, we have all those caveats, right? Assuming all things stay equal and we don't have any other, you know, big surprises big and variants and big variants or, you know, issues with the war, you know, mm-hmm. travel policies impacted where we seem to be all heading in the right direction. But the one thing we've learned is, you know, change is very likely. So you got to be, you got to be prepared for the unexpected. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share about the nature of third party business right now? Yeah, I think it's, there's, you know, you heard it, right. There's an overall sense of optimism, which is what I'd like to communicate, trying not to focus too much on the past, but really more on the future and where we're heading. And I think, you know, we've got, we've got challenges, right. We've got this whole battle for talent. You know, I would say one is how do we make this industry exciting and and attractive? We've lost a lot of people to the industry because of whatever, you know, fears that it's not stable, fears that they can't build a career, whatever those are. We've got to change that narrative. We've got to make it positive. And this is an amazing industry to be a part of. My own daughter is now part of it, which I'm excited about, which I didn't know if that would happen or not, but she's loving it. And what is uh, she she's, she's 25. She's working at a destination management company. And so I'm excited about that. So I think, you know, the career opportunity and paths for for the industry is is really front and center for us. Second is just overall optimism, right? I think the one thing that all of this has taught us is the power of face-to-face. doesn't mean hybrid and virtual is going away, but just this pent-up demand, which we see for individual travel, leisure travel, uh, hopefully business travel recovering. And then on the group and meetings and trade show side is, you know, without a doubt, right? And there will always be some that have a different approach to that. But to me, at this stage in my career, I'm more optimistic about this industry than I've ever been. So that sense of of really faith in the future is what I would want to, you know, really communicate. Thank you so much for your time, David. We really appreciate you taking time to share your insights today. Welcome to Monterey County, California, where feeling inspired isn't just a talking point, but an indelible part of who we are. Host your meeting here and you'll be surrounded by stunning landscapes, as well as world-class attractions, dining, and activities. Take advantage of the destination-wide, all-inspired incentive, and the Monterey County CVB will help cover the costs of an unforgettable event. Visit meetinmonterey.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. Be sure to rate and review us and subscribe. Check back for new episodes soon.